Podcast Todd Conklin, how are you? Oh my gosh, this is the craziest time. Oh, unbelievable. So I promised you last week I would give you a clip of Around the Safety Podcast, and so that's what I'm going to do. So sit back and relax. You're going to get to enjoy uh, a full episode of Around the Safety Podcast. See what you think. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, this will kind of give you the chance to listen to it. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Here we go. Well, thank you for all those who came out and hung out during episode one. Well, that makes us have an episode two. So what are we all about? We're about Around the Safety Podcast. We are someone who is trying to help you save some time where you can hear exactly what is going on around the world of safety and podcasts. We are Around the Safety Pod. So what we're going to do is we're going to find the top 10 clips that are going around the internet right now for you to take a listen to what is going on inside of the world of podcasting. So let's get you started with the mix in no certain order right now. The Mix. mix. You know, I had been at other companies and everyone knows the run, hide, fight video. It's free. It's on YouTube and people play that. And then you, you sign off and it's like, yep, we all got the run, hide, fight training. You know, we checked a box basically. And maybe they have a one page. Here's what you do in the event of an active shooter. You know, you stay in your office, hide under a desk, call 911. If you can get out, go outside. But that's it. So I want my listeners to get something more out of that kind of training. That's just not enough. I mean, it's what you taught me and what I learned from you. So let's start there. Let's start with, okay, basic foundation and building on run, hide, fight. And then, of course, Alice is another topic. Uh, We're not dogging on anything, but let's go deeper and challenge my listeners to do better for their workers and their organizations. So, so start us off. What was in, what's involved when we talk about workplace violence and specifically active shooter with training and development? Well, first of all, you're absolutely correct. And it's, it's very sad. And most organization, it is a check the box kind of thing. And the sad part of that is if there ever is an incident, there's going to be a lot of people hurt and injured. And then you had the liability issue, the lawsuits that are going to come around. So You do have to go beyond just the little video that you see, the free source that everybody watches. You also have to take into account the type of employees that you have because you might have young people there and you might have older people, you know, age groups ranging from 20 to 60 to 70. You can't expect everybody to understand what to do. So you just can't tell somebody, all right, you have to run. So how, first of all, how do you run? How do you hide? How do you fight? Right? So you have to get more in-depth into those particular subjects. Some people don't really like the concept or the, you know, run, hide, fight the way it sounds. But, uh, you know, I think it pretty much tells exactly what you're going to have to do. And this is another misconception that a lot of people don't think about is just because it says run, hide, fight doesn't mean you do it in that order. You might start off hiding, then you have to run, and then you have to fight or any of those combinations. So you have to understand the dynamics that go into play 
when there is some type of active shooter situation. Because unfortunately, the police generally aren't going to arrive in time to help save you. Because statistically speaking, most active shooter incidents end before the police arrive. So that means as an employee, as a team member, you're going to have to try to survive on your own until the police arrive. So how do you do that? What I hear you saying is the first thing we should do is set realistic expectations for our employees. And it starts with mindset, right? Sure. Being in the right mind, having the right frame of mind about this topic in general. Sure. So the, the mindset that everybody should, should adopt initially is that no one's coming to, no one's coming to save you. So you, it's up to you to save yourself because when an active shooter situation happens and there's a lockdown, people are going to be in their own separate spaces. You know, some people might be congregated in one room together and then you guys can help each other out, but you might be stuck by yourself and you might have to try to figure out how to get out of that building by yourself. So you have to develop that mindset that you're alone, that you're going to have to do everything you need to do to keep yourself alive. Well, that clip came off of episode 117 of the Safety Pro Podcast. So if you do get a chance, take a listen to what is exactly going on there. Great episode, great guy. That's the interview between Blaine J. Hoffman and Sean Rafferty. Take a listen when you get a chance. And let's continue down the path with Jill James on Around the Safety Pod. In the mix. Life is hard right now, and it's been hard for nearly a year, and I want to acknowledge that. If you're feeling unseen for your heroic efforts to keep your employees healthy and safe right now, I want you to know I see you, and I'm grateful for your work. For those of you who are scared for yourselves or for your workforce and your families, I see you. For those of you who are swept up in the intensity of work with no time to process the added enormity a pandemic is bringing to your work, I see you. For those of you who have lost your work in this pandemic, I see you and feel for you. For those of you who feel like all the eyes of your company leaders and employees are on you, Every day to know what is right to do in this moment, I see you. For those of you on the edge of leaving your current work and are in search of your next chapter with all that anxiety and thrill that it brings, I see you. For those of you who have lost employees or family members to the virus, I'm sorry for your loss. For those of you who feel like no one is listening or seeing you for your professional knowledge, I see you. For those of you who are reading and reading and reading and trying to digest volumes of information that seem daunting, conflicting, and ever-changing, it is. And thank you for trying to keep up with the science as it evolves in real time. For those of you who are carrying the stories of your employees' real struggles, fears, and illnesses with you and into your waking and sleeping hours while balancing your own home life, I see you. Well, the next entry in our countdown, you're really going to like this one. 
This comes from the OH&S Safety Pod. It's the Safety Speak Edition. Take a listen to what had to be said on the first COVID-19 international guidelines here on Around the Safety Pod. In the mix. This year has turned workplace safety upside down. With the introduction of hazards and risks brought by the COVID-19 pandemic came the new challenges of keeping workers safe and healthy. Recognizing the need for comprehensive yet generic guidance on worker safety while continuing to function effectively, the International Organization for Standardization, or ISO, has released a new guideline on working safely during the COVID-19 pandemic. In an announcement on ISO's website, the organization revealed that the average international standards created by the group take up to three years to be completed. This new ISO PAS 45005 guideline, however, took just three months. ISO PAS 45005 brings together international best practices on how to manage the health and safety of employees and stakeholders during the pandemic and is intended to complement any existing national guidelines and regulations. Experts from 26 countries work to produce the guidelines in the form of a publicly available specification, or PAS. The PAS was approved by the 80 member countries of ISO's Technical Committee for Occupational Health and Safety Management. ISO explains that this format allows the document to be updated in its present form or be developed into a formal standard, depending on the course of the pandemic and emergence of new information. ISO explains that the developed document provides practical recommendations on managing risks arising from the coronavirus and is applicable regardless of the organization's location or status. To read the full document, visit ISO.org. Well, Around the Safety Pod is always bringing you the things inside of the world of safety from around the world. Take a listen to this retrospective episode, or at least a clip, let's say, from Safety on Tap with Andrew Barrett from episode 165. I thought, well, that looks like a nice, neat curve. So with a little bit of fiddling in Excel, I figured out that either a power curve a logarithmic curve or an exponential curve might actually nicely fit the shape of the data. Now, the stats nerds will know that when you try and uh, fit uh, a line to a bunch of data, that what you're interested in is a thing called the R-squared value, which tells you which line is the best fit. So it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect alignment with the data, but it's as close as you can get. And it turns out that the log curve won, and the R-squared value for anyone interested was uh, 0.95, which is pretty good. Now, these things hopefully are starting to make sense, right? So we've got downloads per day. We have a nice-looking, interesting curve. Seems to have a particular pattern or shape to it, and and there's a nice equation that kind of fits it as well. It turns out that uh, when I look at that, we can actually find out with the curve of best fit, we can actually find what episodes are the highest, if you imagine a spike, of downloads above the line, which to me indicates that they're most statistically popular, right? So the bigger the spike above the line indicates the most 
popular episodes, right? Yeah. So it turns out we can at least clearly identify a statistical top five from the past 12 months. So I can tell you with a great level of numerical certainty derived from the combination of the collective behaviour of our entire listening community that these are the top five most popular Safety on Tap podcast episodes of 2020. Well, as you go around the safety podcast, you will realise right away that you can find a little bit of everything. You can find nerds, you can find dorks, and now you can find even safety geeks. So right now, here is the Safety Geek Podcast with four easy steps to the basics of safety management. Here on Around the Safety Pod. The mix. So what you have done so far is you've met with the management team, the HR team, the insurance company, the occupational health. You are now ready to start improving your accident procedures. So doing policies, programs, procedures is not one of my four basics of safety. Um, It's not one of those things that I'm always rushing to get into. I always like to take a step back, get my basics in first before I do that. But earmark this and say, Improving my accident procedures are going to be the very first thing that I do. You can improve your forms and make sure that you're getting everything that you need to do. And then you could train your people on it and then you can monitor it and just start making sure that you are managing claims to save the company money. So it's to care for the employee, but also to save the company money. So that way you are showing the value that safety is providing to that company. All right. That is my very first basics of safety management. My second one is get yourself familiar with the regulations that apply to your organization. Now, if you are brand new to safety and you don't even know what I'm talking about, you know, what regulations, what companies, let me give you the list and I'll tell you how you need to proceed from here. So generally you have safety regulations and in the United States that falls under OSHA, but OSHA is a federal agency. And in the United States, there are rules that state that states can can have their own safety regulations as long as they are meeting the federal. So there are, I believe it's 26 states within the U.S. that have their own safety regulations. So that's the first thing you need to know is whether or not you are in one of those states and then you would go to your state safety office. Um, If you are not in one of those states, then you would go to OSHA. The second one is transportation. If you have commercial motor vehicles or people driving on the road, regardless, you want to have transportation safety, and that would fall under the Department of Transportation. Next is environmental. So things to think of with environmental and whether or not they apply to you would be stormwater, spill prevention. If you have any chemicals, if you have any large amounts of chemicals, you might fall under process safety management or a risk management plan. There's air permitting. If you have any like off gassing, if you have have generators. There's, I think it's RICRA or something. There's lots of different things. And if you have chemicals in your facility, you are going to have uh, rules under the Environmental Protection Agency. And the way that I like to, like to think about the two, and it's actually how they describe themselves too, is OSHA is protecting the employees and the EPA is protecting everybody outside of the company. So you're protecting the community. The next one is fire and electrical safety. And those rules are under the National Fire Protection Association. There are rules for like there's NFPA 70E, which is electrical rules. And then there is the fire rules as well. So you are required to meet those two. Now, if you are a company that handles a product or has supplies on property that could cause great 
harm to the public. So you can harm the food supply, the water supply, any terrorist type of activities, stuff like that. You may fall under the Department of Homeland Security rules, too. So keep that in mind. If you are mining or agriculture, there are different regulatory bodies for you as well, as well as nuclear, too. And those are the ones just off the top of my head. It is amazing how many regulatory bodies safety managers need to be familiar with. Well, clip number six comes to you via the safety struggle with Dr. Linda Martin. And on this particular episode, she was having a conversation about IBEW apprentice electrician and kick-ass careers. Enjoy it now on Around the Safety Pod. I hate that when people are like, oh, you know, they're they're just whatever. They're just a welder. They're just right. a machinist. They're just, you know, the electrician that's come in to put the receptacles in. Here's the thing that I've learned in my long career. There are people who do their jobs, especially when it comes to doing my job, safety, right, that know way more about safety mm-hmm. in that job than I will ever know, than I will ever know. Right. Yeah. So that inf- that makes them infinitely more uh, qualified to tell me about the safety of what's going on than I am yeah. learning it from a book. OK. So I that that just makes me really mad. Yeah. And it makes me really mad when people say you have to have a degree. Right. To do my job. Because I have people in construction. In, in that that have come up through the trades and who have progressed to a level that I was at in the field as a safety director. And they can run circles around me, not only technically, but safety-wise, commu- uh, communicating with, with, with other tradespeople, with knowing the lingo, with all that kind of stuff. And I'm behind the eight ball because I didn't grow up in that, yeah. right? So everything is relative. Absolutely. And experience is so key. And we talked about it um, earlier that, you know, being able to actually see something, touch something, explain it, you know, with a visual is so different than having a book. And I think that's what makes, you know, the apprenticeship process, the apprenticeship and journey process, you know, totally different and unique from the typical schooling processes. You know, you do go to school as an electrician. You have to learn some book stuff, you know, there is that, but to do your job, you need to know how to actually use the tools and you have to go out in the field and to learn safety. You know, you talk about safety. It's, it's, it's hard to teach everybody every single safety precaution out there. You know, normally accidents are planned. This is why they are called accidents. And so, you know, every single time a new rule comes out in the book, it's because somebody had an accident. Nobody thought of that before. And so if you're in school, you know, sure, we're going to cover some safety. We're going to talk about the basics, you know, sharp objects and, you know, slips and falls and, you know, you know, lifting things, some basic safety, but those, those one-off accidents where actually are the ones that cause serious damage, you know, you can't teach them. You can only, you know, help. And that's why that process, the journeyman apprenticeship process of journeyman there to say, whoa, whoa, you, you know, you didn't see this, but I need to let you know that this is a safety issue. Let's talk about it. And let's, you know, now that we've had this experience, let's talk about why it's a safety issue and how we can make it safe 
for us to work move forward. Um, and so you really need to be out in the field and, you know, you, you most certainly can learn things in a book, but it does, you know, that's, you know, as we get, you know, wisdom, we talk about wisdom, wisdom comes with age. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's age that gives you, I think it's experience, you know, yeah. experience gives you just so much more knowledge because you've, you've, it's not now you, you know, we talked about remembering things and mistakes. Why do we remember mistakes? Because they, you know, when we attach an emotional attachment to something, we remember it, it like sears it into our brain for us to remember for a future, for the future, you know, and that's why the book experience versus real life experience is totally different. You have to see it, touch it, all that kind of stuff to really learn and, and know the, the safety issues. Well, clip number seven arrives courtesy of Safety Culture Excellence with Sean Galloway and the discussion of how BBS can be catastrophic right now on Around the Safety Pod. In the mix. How BBS can be catastrophic. Behavior-based safety, BBS, can help your organization to get to levels of safety excellence not possible without it. It can also help you to have the greatest catastrophe in your history. How can it be so good and so bad? It depends on how you view it and how you pursue it. Have you ever heard someone claim that BBS was the silver bullet, the magic pill for safety excellence? Some organizations have bought into that view and pursued BBS at the expense of neglect of their traditional safety programs. Some have gotten away with that approach so far but others have had tragedies. BBS is, if taken as an advanced strategy to supplement traditional safety, can produce stellar results. If it replaces traditional safety, you are addressing one type of accident and neglecting another. The type of accident being neglected may actually have greater severity potential than the ones you are addressing. Don't believe the silver bullet myth. Things that sound too good to be true usually are. Well, welcome to clip number eight here on Around the Safety Pod. And this comes from the podcast, Food Safety Matters, episode 86, the year that COVID made. That's what's going on on this episode of Food Safety Matters. Hear this clip now on Around the Safety Pod. Your systems have been compromised, and that means your food safety programs have been compromised, and you've got to shore everything up. So when we look back to the early episodes with Stacey Popham, Sean Layton, and Mike Kramer, uh, I think it was episodes, I want to say 69, um, where we, we were so lucky to have people jump right on as they were, you know, had just gotten through the first wave of, oh, my goodness, what do we do? And, you know, what were the first things that they were doing and helping and sharing the information with everybody about, you know, how to grab hold and start to manage your systems during this time of great disruption. But so I'll throw it open, you know, let's start there. Well, one of the first things uh, that I think really got disrupted uh, was transportation. And that was evident from bare shelves in grocery stores and um, not only the toilet paper aisle, um, which is surprising to me in Massachusetts because toilet paper doesn't go away even when there's a big snowstorm coming, which they're predicting today. Um, But things were just flying off the shelf. And People interpreted that as a food shortage or a supply shortage when, in fact, 
it was the transportation system that was disrupted. Um, not only trucks were uh, – actually, trucks were being diverted to get uh, personal protective equipment to hospitals and first responders, and they weren't uh, transporting uh, the food and, and consumer consumer goods like they were before. Um, and I think, Bob, you had a story about uh, truck drivers – who a lot of them were older, they didn't want to um, cross state lines, or if they did, once quarantines and, and lockdowns were in effect, it really limited um, a lot of that process. So that was really challenging. Yeah, that is one of the stories that I heard in one of the interviews that um, one of the companies had no problem getting inputs and all the other things that you would think would be a problem with production. But what they did have a problem with was drivers. And the way he described it is their drivers were older. Um, they wanted to make sure that they weren't exposing themselves. They wanted to make sure at the time when some cities were hot spots and others weren't, that they weren't going from a hot, hot spot city or to a hot spot city, either one. And then having to quarantine when they came back really limited their availability. So one of the things I like to say I learned about food safety and logistics early on in the pandemic was the things that you can't, you don't see on a whiteboard. You know, people talk about how trucks get loaded and how they get shipped and, and how all this happens, but you don't necessarily get to the details of, of exactly how things move in, in specific. One other company that we talked about offline briefly uh, was a company that ships their goods by having the, their customers come pick them up. And what would happen is they would have packages sitting on the dock, just clogging up the dock area because the trucks weren't arriving on time. And without that flow, everything sort of slows down. And when that part slows down, everything upstream and downstream slows down too. So it's so vastly interconnected. Mm -hmm. uh, the different stories I've heard about systems that were interrupted, it's so vastly interconnected, but it's amazing what you learn when something like this happens. <laughs> Well, clip number nine comes from us from Down Under, Down Under. This is from the Safety of Work podcast with David Proven and Drew Ray. This is a clip from episode 59. What is the full story behind Safety 1 and Safety 2? This is part three of a miniseries right now on Around the Safety Pod. In the mix. In the mix. But that's constant. You take a snapshot of work at any time and you'll see work that is variable and work that is falling a little bit short. And so it's fairly meaningless to say at this particular time things were functioning incorrectly because that's just the normal state of things. I mean, Drew, I, I agree with this. I think work is always variable and dynamic for people who know some of the writing that we've done, Drew. We've referenced some, some ideas earlier than, you know, Jens Rasmussen even around um you know, Daniel Katz, who, who sort of said that in the 60s, that work is so dynamic and so unpredictable that you need to have some basis for how people will perform their role, but you also need to encourage initiative and spontaneity and, and adaptation to the all of the situations that people may face that you can't um, predict or prescribe. But at some point, I think where, where I don't quite know how to interpret what Eric's saying here, because, and, and this has probably been one of my big challenges around safety, safety too, at a theoretical level, has been that if we say that safe things going well is not just the opposite of them going wrong, 
And if we're saying we want things to function correctly or, or incorrectly, Eric's kind of saying, he's saying that we need things to go right and we don't really define what's right. But then he's also saying that we can't characterize things as correct or incorrect. But at some point in time, practically in organizations, we actually need to form conclusions. We need to decide if ways of work are okay or not okay, if they're safe or not safe, if they're good, if they're bad, if they're okay to continue or if they're not okay to continue. And of course, this should be a sense-making and a consensus-building um, process. But at some point, the outcome needs to be in an organization an agreement on either continuing or discontinuing a work practice which does involve some kind of categorization or judgment about whether something is is good or bad. Um, so I'm not sure, Drew, how you land on some of the different labels that get used where we say, should we or shouldn't we categorize things as as one way or another? This is where I think the writing style is, again, doing a disservice to the fundamental ideas. So Holnagel says really literally that it's not possible or meaningful to characterize components as functioning correctly or incorrectly. So he says that flat out. But he does not mean that. He gives lots of examples later on that where he clearly does think it's possible to characterize. Um, and if you go look at his own definitions, he thinks that, there, that you know, what unsafe means is that there is an unacceptable rate or risk or frequency of things going badly. Well, here we go with the last clip from Around the Safety Pod. This is coming to you courtesy. Oh, yes, I did say courtesy of the Interesting Health and Safety podcast exclusively on safetyfm.uk, just in case you did not know. But this is the episode between Colin Nottage and Tanya Hewitt from the Interesting Health and Safety podcast at number one. In the mix. Cynicism, it demoralizes the people who have invested their will and energy in trusting the system mm-hmm. to then realize, well, why did I, why, why did I trust the system in the first place? Why was I so stupid to believe that they'd actually listen to me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's what happens. Yeah. And, and then, and then what happens is, is, you know, they, they create this environment where, where people get disgruntled and then, and then when something happens and, you know, and, and, and say maybe a maybe a check wasn't made on a machine, um, you know, because you know it wasn't filled at the box. You know, the the checklist wasn't completed correctly, or whatever it was. That individual who's been disgruntled because nobody listened is then criticised for not bringing it up. Yeah, but nobody was listening anyway. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, and, and people right. people only start listening when when proverbially the the, the shit's hit the fan. And that's that's, that's the real tragedy of this whole thing because, Mm. you know, again, incident reporting systems at its core are to allow workers to have a voice because fundamentally all of us, all of us really just want to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. We just want to have our existence count. Mm -hmm. And if somebody believes that their contribution is through an incident report where they think they have found something that really is, 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 is of importance and that is shut down because it's not really heard, that, that can be more profound if it really ties into the identity of 
or the, the, the contribution that that worker feels that they have at that, at that organization. Mm-hmm. It, it can be worse than just blame. Mm-hmm. It can really start to, to hone in on, you know, well, it, as I said, they can start to feel cheated. They can start to feel um, very, uh, it can go deeper than just, um, you know, oh, this, this wasn't read properly kind of thing. What did you think? This brings another episode of Around the Safety Pod to an end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember, this show is the brainchild of Todd Conklin and yours truly. Be on the lookout for another episode of Around the Safety Pod, exclusively available on Safety FM Plus. We'll be back with another episode very, 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 very soon. See ya! That's the pod for today. Little, little different, isn't it? It's kind of nice. <laughs> Jay's not afraid to produce a podcast, that's for sure. He gets after it. There's no question about it. Hey, there you go. I'll talk to you again. I have lots more to share. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Check in on each other. Be kind. That's important. Please, please be kind. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.